Across the alley from where I live, a couple of guys are building a new house. They came in a couple days ago with an excavator and a bobcat, tore down the old house that was there, broke up the foundation, and hauled it off. Then they poured a new foundation, and they've been out there over the last couple of days, framing in the first floor, putting up walls. It's cold outside, it's winter. They're not wearing a lot, and they're out there swinging hammers, building shelter for people. And I was sitting at my desk cramming a donut in my face. And I thought, these are manly men. These men are more manly than I am. And I stopped to think about that. Why did I think that because these guys built homes for a living, and I used a keyboard, that they have higher levels of masculinity than me? And I realized I don't know anything about masculinity. I couldn't give you a good guess as to what the definition is. I generally know what masculinity looks like in movies, but I don't know what modern masculinity is. I don't know if it's different from previous generations. And if it is different, I don't know if it's better. I'm hoping today that Rupesh and I can sort of shed light on this for me and for all of you listening. And maybe we can use these conversations to help us get a better understanding of what it means to be masculine and how we can use that to become better people. And welcome to episode two of Two Nobodies. I am Kyle, the second nobody, and we'll get to the first nobody, the foremost nobody, Rupesh here in one second. Today I was hoping to talk a little bit about masculinity and sort of what that means to Rupesh and I, what that's meant traditionally, and what that means to being good fathers and good men. I want to start off by saying that we certainly are not experts in this field. Outside of a couple hours of Googling, I hadn't really spent much time thinking about it before this last week. And I realized quickly within the first you know, 10 minutes of Googling that this is a broad topic. This is a broad arena of subject matter that there's no way that we could possibly cover in a 45-minute podcast. So please be patient with us as we kind of work through our thoughts on masculinity We're certainly not going to get everything right, but we're hoping to have an insightful conversation that leads us to be better fathers and men. Second thing that I'd like to bring up is that conversations around masculinity, particularly as of late, can be somewhat contentious. Rupesh and I have no intention of stoking that fire. So we're going to try to leave politics and maybe controversial opinions out of it. However, if during our conversation... We do wade into that space. We're not going to avoid it. But please recognize that we're coming to this conversation from a place of good faith and that we don't mean any harm to anybody. We're just trying to understand what masculinity means. So first, though, I think we should bring in the foremost nobody, Rupesh. Buddy, how are you doing? Good. How are you doing? Good, man. Good. So uh, episode two, here we go. Episode one, I thought wasn't too bad. I realized that I say, um, and you know, a bunch. So I'm going to try really hard to not do that this time around, but we'll see how it goes. What'd you think episode one? And you have any learnings from it? Well, I also have a lot of ums and some likes. 
And so I'm going to respect the pause as much as possible this time. I think that the first episode was uh, good learning, as I'm sure every episode will be. I'm really happy that we chose the topic of presence. Um, I think about that all the time. Uh, I've thought about it multiple times this week. So I think it sets a good stage for our next conversation on masculinity and seeing how a modern, maybe a modern definition or a modern look and how it applies to fatherhood uh, will will apply to us as well. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. I think it's going to be challenging. And I think, as you said in your intro, there's a lot there that I didn't really know until I kind of uncovered over this past week in just reading a few things. But generally, it, it feels it feels fine because we're both men and we can both draw from experiences and our and our upbringings and so I think it'll be insightful and and a good personal reflection for me anyways so okay so I'm going to sort of put you on the spot here and um full disclosure I have the official definition that I'll uh, bring up after I ask you so I'm kind of putting you on the spot okay (laughs) yeah I don't I don't mean to make you look like an idiot, um, but I'm wondering maybe in your mind, what does masculinity mean to you? What what sort of pops into your head when I throw that term at you? I think that's evolved for me, right? Like when I grew up, certainly there was a sense of having to protect and be strong. And while emotions weren't necessarily discouraged in my household, I was never that I can remember or anything that was sort of jarring of don't cry, at least from my parents. Um, it wasn't something that was always encouraged. And, and I don't know if that was, I don't know if the Indian culture had something to play with that. It was never something that was always preached uh, as far as my parents uh, when they're with their upbringing as well. So I would say the be strong and not showing that kind of weakness was was a part of it being tough, that sense of needing to provide, that was all kind of ingrained in in me. I would say that certainly that has evolved. And I think that for me, masculinity is more focused on just being human and being just figuring out how to be, you know, just a good person overall. And, and just embracing like this individuality, right? I think that when when there was kind of this box of a definition around what it meant to be a man, I think it probably made sense for a lot of people at a certain time too. I would think, you know, I, I obviously didn't live in the past unless, you know, I, my soul reincarnated in some ways, but, but I think that um, it, it could have made sense at the time for, for men to exhibit those things, perhaps maybe, I don't know. I, that Let's just say, let's just say that might be true. But I don't think those things are necessary anymore. And I think that by boxing in that definition, people probably felt uncomfortable over time. There are probably some men who are probably like, I don't fit into that definition anymore. And so I think you're seeing more and more people be like, you just need to be yourself. We just need to focus on being good humans overall and embracing that individuality. And I never really understood why it would threaten someone else whether it be a man or, or a woman, if another person just chose to be themselves. So, 
so so that that's where that's where that's that's where that's coming from um and and i would say i would say on the on the part of like being tough my focus now is more about being resilient where i think there's kind of a a, a difference there and then i think that the other piece about feelings is i've i definitely think that I think there are men who are feeling more comfortable with doing so, but it's probably a challenge for a lot. But for me, again, if it's around being human, it's about embracing those feelings and not suppressing them and just letting those feelings sit because there's such a power with letting those feelings sit and allowing yourself to just heal. Whereas I'm not sure that the that I guess the traditional view of masculinity really allowed that. And I'm sure we'll get into sort of, you know, what emotional suppression is, what emotional suppression has done. And, and, you know, there's studies to show potential effects on health and all that. So I'm sure we'll get into that, but I, I guess that that's sort of where my head at, heads at as far as, you know, a more where, what I think masculinity kind of means to me now, but it's definitely, it's definitely evolved and it's going to continue to evolve for sure. What about you? Well, it's a good question for me. And I, um, when I was doing research for this, I realized going into it, I didn't, I probably couldn't even give you a definition of what it is and sort of what those, you know, generally what it means. I, I had some ideas of maybe what the traits that are associated with traditional masculinity might be. So the formal definition, according to Google, as you know, I'm quite the Google sleuth. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah is qualities or attributes as characteristic of men, which makes sense, but it's funny because you know how when you punch into Google a word that you want to define, it'll give you an example right below it. Mm -hmm. And the example on Google is handsome, muscled, and driven. He's a prime example of masculinity. So you, like, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, I can tell that uh, Mr. Google has never met me because I'm not <laughs> handsome, I'm not muscled, and I'm not driven at all. Um, but so I think from a personal standpoint, I would add words like um, stoic, competitive, maybe even assertive, or at least someone who doesn't back down from a challenge. They'd be brave, decisive, strong, courageous. And I think that what masculinity means likely evolves or varies depending um, on a point in history or mm -hmm. even cultures. You know, so, so you mentioned your background. Mm -hmm. it, it's probably a little bit different the different places on earth that you go. But one thing that I read in my research that was really interesting to me is that masculinity is more based on what people do, not really who they are. Meaning masculinity and the traits that sort of accompany what we both think masculinity is mm -hmm. go along with more social or historical influences, not really biological, meaning that you're in your DNA, even though you are born with male anatomy, there's probably no masculine gene in you. They're all things that are kind of learned from the culture that you grew up in mm -hmm. or the community that you grew up in, who your parents were, who your friends were, if you played sports, if you didn't play sports. And so that, that sort of got me thinking that if masculinity is based on what we do, are those traditional traits we just mentioned still accurate when defining masculinity? And I would say probably not, and it sounds like based on, on, on what you've said, you would probably say not either. And I feel that you're right that it probably paints people into a bit of a corner, at least makes them feel as though they need to adhere to a mold that was cast before they ever came along. And whatever that mold looks like is probably based on 
who is in your circle of influence? Who are those other role models in your life or peers that also have male anatomy? And how do they act? And what what traits do they show that are related to masculinity? And maybe you feel that you need to adhere to those traits. But if what masculinity is are the characteristics of boys and men and what boys and men are doing, then shouldn't shouldn't the definition of masculinity be evolving over time and changing over time along with the changing actions of boys and men? I, I think so. I mean, if you think about what's sort of changing, right? You look at just working in organizations and we talk about leadership, right? We look at leadership a whole lot more differently and what it means to be a good leader. We talk about how emotional intelligence is such a crucial skill these days because if you're trying to collaborate with people, you need to understand and have a sense or be attuned to the people in the room and their reactions and 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 be hyper-aware of sensitivities because you really need to draw the wisdom from other people, right? For Because of that need for collaboration. So we see as good leaders, it's not that alpha male that really drives good leadership in an organization. It's not those traditional qualities that we have spoken about. It's, it's very different. I think that naturally by having more women in the workplace, that's just naturally going to change the rules. So you talk about what's going to, what has to be done nowadays. Well, it's just physically impossible for you know, for for women to carry such a huge load. Like it just it just doesn't make sense anymore. And so I think you're seeing a lot of men having to level up with their partners and and assume different roles, whether they like to or not, right? Um, so I think that's happening. I think there's also kind of this push, you know, just you and I having these conversations and wanting to explore this of men wanting to understand their partners, understanding women, you know, we'll hopefully have a conversation about understanding women at a physiological level and, and how that just under having those understandings can make us better partners. So I think that's changing. And I think, again, men are recognizing this need to talk about things. I, I actually like, you, you know, there's a lot of YouTube videos of men talking about things in the barber shop, and I'm not sure what kind of where you go to um, for your hair, or um... <laughs> I don't go anywhere for my hair, man, because <laughs> I don't have any hair. <laughs> I said that and I looked at you, and I'm like awkward, but <laughs> I still got a few up here. I'm, I'm using some, but but thankfully I can still go to the barber shop. <laughs> but I. I I, I am noticing, though, that sometimes the conversations are a little different, right? They're not as hard anymore. They're not about, um, you know, just superficial crap, you know? it's it's I'm seeing some meaningful conversations. Sometimes you overhear something when you're in the chair, right? So I think there's some things that are just naturally changing that are forcing, not not only forcing, but just nudging men to to do things a little bit differently, which is... Uh, stretching that normal definition of what it means to be a man. Sure, sure. So I, as I was kind of getting ready for a conversation today, I was talking to my wife just about the conversation and generally how I thought it might go and stuff and some of the things that I had learned. And she asked me, she said, who do you think is the most masculine person in your life? Or, mm. or who are some of the people in your life that when I say the word masculine, they pop into your head. And it was a great question, I thought. So I'm going to throw it to you right now. And it's it's um, sort of a two-parter. So who in your life 
when you think of masculinity, does this person pop in your head? And I don't need names or anything like that. The second part of the question is, why do they pop in your head? What traits do they have that would then uh, lead you to believe that they are masculine? That's a good question. I mean, it's easy for me to defer to my dad. I mean, I think he was not the kind of, he wasn't a very aggressive person, uh, but he definitely was inclusive. He had, he was, he had those tradition, he had some of those traditional qualities, but there was like, you know, that sense of pride, right? That, which is probably, you know, some could see as, maybe a barrier but it was pride about like his his stuff like what he wore just like this this need to again even if it was the need to protect it was it was just i think that's a we'll probably maybe we'll probably get into this but i think that need to protect and to provide for your family i don't know if i know you i know you said this is like masculinity there's there's probably no gene for this but it's almost like there are a lot of men that i know who feel that I'm not saying that there is no gene that has no influence on your level of traditional masculinity or not, but what I'm but all I'm saying is that from what I read today, those behaviors heavily influence that, and it's probably much more of a learned thing than a genetic thing. But I think you're right, and I and I wonder if that need to protect comes out of loving somebody and having respect for somebody, and almost fear of losing somebody or wanting the best for somebody, and if if that's related to being masculine at all, because I would say that my wife feels that way about our son. I was going to say the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. When my wife asked me that question about who's masculine in my life, I thought of two people. One is a former professional fighter. He's a big, tough, fit guy. And so that kind of popped into my head. And the other is probably the most capable man I know. He's a farmer. He's a fisherman. Um, He's excellent with his hands. I've seen him build a thousand things. He's framed houses by himself. He's just like all of those kind of traditional skill sets that you would, you know, that, that would be useful in 1918 uh, they're also useful now he's great at them but then i got to thinking about each of those men and the things that i respect about them the most are traits that are actually probably more in line with femininity or or what we would think is traditional femininity so these are men that are empathetic they're humble they're caring and they're nurturing And so it was really interesting to me and I kind of started poking around and I found some interesting thoughts. Um, There's one study published in in, uh, 2013 from the University of Roehampton, which is in London. And basically it was looking at masculinity over time. And so I just just, um, cherry picked a a couple of points from it. But one of them said uh, masculinity does not exist except in contrast to femininity. And so, you know, you can't have one without the other. And so that to even have one sort of forces this dichotomy when really I doubt you could find many individuals at all that would tick all the boxes of traditional masculinity and, and traditional femininity. And then when I think about these men that I love and admire that have some masculine traits, but if the one had never fought a day in his life, I'd still love him. And if the other couldn't catch a fish or build a house, I'd still love them. And so it was a really interesting framing for me. But when I think of those guys, it's the masculine traits that kind of float to the surface. But it really kind of made that dichotomy stand out in my head. And I think maybe in today's world, at least in the circles that I run in, which you won't be surprised to know, uh, isn't the most traditionally masculine of circles. (laughs) Um, 
you know, that's not really the case at all. Uh, there is no dichotomy. And um, so that was really, really interesting to me. Some of the other points that uh, came out of that study, one, we've already sort of touched on it, but they say that to be a man is to play a role that boys and men learn to act out over their lives to meet the classical definition of what a man is. And so we've sort of talked about that already, but you have an idea in your mind as to what what a man is, you know, what the John Waynes, I mean, you go back and, you know, look at Beowulf or whatever, but you can look at John Waynes or, you know, even these days, uh, Tom Brady's or all these people, they're these, they're never emotional. They're always strong. They never back down from a fight, all these things. And if so, if, if you have that in your mind, it's the kind of thing that you strive for just because other people with a dick and balls are also striving to be that way. Well, well, think, think about, I don't know if you recall this, but I recall it pretty well of when we were, you know, you and I didn't grow up together. So I say we were, but um, when we were young boys and you would have, you, you would have your, your guy friends, you'd have your girlfriends, but with the, with the guy friends, you'd be talking about all kinds of stuff. It was easy. If you cried, you cried. No one was really, you know, sure. You might get some teasing here and there, but when you were really young boys, there was no, that kind of judgment about like, Hey, you, you cried or, or you're talking to me about something that's kind of girly or something like that. Then all of a sudden there's this kind of shift that starts to happen. And it's like, okay, this is, this is different. What, what I, what I, I can, I can't really be myself. Now, all of a sudden you're reacting a little bit differently. You're saying that you're saying all of a sudden that what I'm saying is kind of, you know, and I'm going to say this because it came out, but I remember kids saying no homo, right? Like that would be, you know, I don't know if you experienced that. I definitely experienced that. And I will say that I was probably guilty, I'm sure, of saying these kind of things back in the day, right? Because it was just about what you were, that's just how guys were, right? And all of a sudden it's like, okay, well, this is what it means to be a guy now, I guess. So I got to conform to this, right? Do you remember that? Like even going into your, especially with the early, early teens and going into like grade nine and grade 10, and 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 definitely feeling like okay, I need to be tough now. I need to I need to really step up. I need to you know I I I personally enjoyed sports, but I remember seeing other other guys in my class feeling like they needed to step up in those areas as well. Like it was just a, such a change that it's like you can no longer be yourself. And these are some crucial years. And all of a sudden, then what does that do to you, right? So there's some there's there's some. There, I know there's some research on this, and I think there's a professor out of um, out of New York. Her name is uh, Professor Nobi May, and she looked at um, she looked at boys at a young age, and 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 seeing how by them not being able to express their emotions and them getting suppressed, how that leads to loneliness, and how more and more men are feeling lonely. And, and, and we, you know, I'm sure, I think, I think we've talked about maybe doing an episode at one point on loneliness. And so we can probably touch on it there, but, but I think more and more people, obviously with the pandemic are understanding the the consequences of that. But this is, this is something that um, I think, as you've mentioned, came with us as we were growing up from young boys to becoming men. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I, I think humans are gregarious by nature and we feel a need to be with other humans and we feel a need to fit in 
every kid in grade school at one point or another kind of falls victim to groupthink or is kind of shaped by the people that they hang out with. Or I know I played team sports growing up and you did too. And I, I know that when you get a bunch of individuals in a room and you're close knit for months at a time, seeing each other almost daily, traveling together, all those things, there's a strong, strong groupthink that, that happens there. And there are certainly studies that I have read that show that when one person does something, um, you know, it's less likely for somebody to follow. But if a second and a third join, all of a sudden people follow that group of two or three much quicker than they do one other person. And so people are heavily influenced by groups and by what groups are doing. And um, that doesn't make the action right or that doesn't excuse anything, but absolutely 100%. You sort of fall into whatever will make you a coherent member of that group and for young boys it's sort of maybe at times falling into those um traits of traditional masculinity whether that's for the best or not i'm you know it it happens and every person every man i know has has sort of gone through that and every woman i know has you know has gone through that so it's interesting um the study that that, that you bring up is interesting I was reading something today about how the American Psychological Association released guidelines in 2019 to help psychologists in the United States work with men and boys. And the guidelines basically say we need a set of rules um, or sort of a book or manual to tell psychologists how to speak to men and boys because there's some really, really brutal stats around men and boys in the United States. And I'll just read some for you now. So in the U.S., men commit 90% of all homicides and make up 77% of all homicide victims. Men are three and a half times more likely to die from suicide, even though men report to have lower levels of depression. So what's happening there, or what they suspect is happening there, is sort of that stoicism that's inherent with traditional masculinity. You know, don't talk about your feelings. Don't let them see you cry. You know, so men and boys don't bring up the fact that, you know, I'm not feeling right. I am depressed. They don't want to mention that because it's seen as being not masculine or being a sissy or whatever. And then it gets to the point where they can't handle it anymore and they kill themselves. And that and that and that extends to sorry, I, I don't mean to interrupt, but just I think I think it extends to also their partners, too. Right. Like like it's not even just men being able to talk to other men which i think is super important but it's being able to talk to their partners and 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 i want you to i want you to continue because i'm interested i'm interested in hearing the rest of it but I, i will say that i think it's also important for for the people around you know especially the kind of the the men who you're talking about who are suffering right um to to really create an environment where people feel safe right? Where they can feel like they can't express themselves. So it's one thing for even, you know, I'm a pretty expressive person, but if I don't feel like the environment is safe enough, there's going to be challenges for me to be even for me to be able to express myself. So let alone a man who may not be able to express their feelings as much, if they don't have that environment, then, then I think that's going to create challenges. But please go continue with what you're saying. So, well, so the last kind of bullet point I got here is that life expectancy is 4.9 years shorter than women um, for men in, in the United States. And so they're dying at a younger age. And so these guidelines draw on more than 40 years of research. So this isn't, you know, a bit of a flash in the pan. Like there's significant research behind these guidelines. 
And a lot of the conclusions that they've kind of drawn from this research is that traditional masculinity, some traits of, of traditional masculinity are psychologically harmful to boys and men. And it's um, how they frame the data is it's, it's almost impossible to refute that. Are they saying, do, do they say specifically what aspects? Okay. Yeah. So they talk about stoicism. So like I was talking about before, how, you know, um, stone face behind a sea of emotions, right? Don't show your, any of your emotions. Uh, don't talk about them. Competitiveness was another one. Dominance, which I think if you were to ask somebody some traits, nobody would say dominance. What do you mean? No one would say dominance. I don't think dominance is seen as necessarily a positive thing. So maybe you would name other traits that sound more positive that might lead you to dominate, like power or excellence or strength, cunning or something like that. But I don't know that, that dominance is necessarily a trait, is it? I mean, I guess it could be. And the last one they name is aggressiveness, which sort of fits into that explanation I had for dominance. I don't know that it being aggressive is that positive or a a trait that people might name, but maybe other traits like being assertive would lead to somebody being aggressive. But again, I, I could be mis mistaken in that. So those are sort of the four that they named and they provide some examples on maybe when they kind of come into play. So for example, men with strong beliefs in traditional masculinity are half as likely to seek preventative healthcare. So like annual checkups, for example, or if something's not feeling quite right, they might not go to the doctor until it's a real problem. Um, those same men are more likely to engage in risky behavior and they highlight heavy drinking, tobacco and drug use, um, which isn't funny, sorry. But the last one that they highlight as risky behavior is avoiding vegetables. So those same men are, are more likely to avoid vegetables. Um, and they're much less likely. What do vegetables do to them? I don't know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, it's not meat, I guess. Um, some of the tasty broccoli. And they're less likely to seek help for mental health. So uh, they're much like they're not going to go to a psychologist and talk about their problems when they're feeling depressed or maybe suicidal or when they're feeling anxious. And so when this so when the guidelines came out, the studies that the guidelines were based on were sort of met with heavy backlash. And we sort of talk about this off the hop about how this can be a bit of a controversial topic. But there was heavy backlash because the data suggests that this picture of traditional masculinity is is bad. It's 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 bad for communities. It's bad for individuals. It's bad for children. Um, and so it was met with heavy backlash from a number of groups. I'm sure everybody could probably imagine who they are. But out of that backlash and out of that conversation um, came another initiative to sort of highlight maybe what the more positive traits are of traditional masculinity or what some of those traits are that might be seen as positive as opposed to focusing. And, and it's important to focus on the negative. As you can see, it's, it's crucial that we highlight, you know, this is how things might've been done in the past, or this is what people think is an ideal man when it's not. And for these specific traits, here's why it's not. But there were a lot of good men and a lot of good fathers in the past. And so it's it's probably important to sort of highlight or at least recognize maybe some of those traits that actually have positive impacts, uh, particularly as as we have the conversation towards, you know, what are the things that can kind of help 
help families and um, and communities and individuals uh, develop strong men and strong male role models and all those things. And so, well, can I just say something quick in that? I think, I think that's, I think that's a really good point before you get into those sort of um, good qualities or good traits of traditional masculinity. I think it's important for us to, to, to talk about that, what that could do to, if we say that, that those, uh, those traits are, you know, toxic, for instance, is sort of a, a, a term that comes up, right? I think that that can be a very dangerous thing for some people because it could really put some people's back up against the wall. Think about like if that's the only identity you know or that's all you know about masculinity and you you're good with that and you're not hurting anybody and now all of a sudden people are saying, "No, what you're doing is toxic. You're actually hurting people." That can really affect some people and can really create a lot of resistance. So I think we think we got to be careful with that sure, there, these studies are showing that some of these traits are, you know, not resulting in some good things. But to outright say that, okay, that the identity that you're assuming is toxic or, or some, you know, say, branding it that way, I think, uh, I think there's going to be a challenge with that. And I'm, I know there already is, but I think it's, it's just not productive in, in my opinion anyway. I just wanted to say here, as we maybe wade into a part of the conversation that might be a little more contentious, when we refer to toxic masculinity, we're referring to the cultural pressures for men and boys to assume certain roles or to behave in a certain way. And there can be negative consequences when that happens, mostly through the perpetuation of, of things like domination or aggression or homophobia or men not taking care of themselves physically or mentally, or men not treating their partners in a healthy way. And that's truly toxic behavior. And we certainly do not condone or agree with that. And we obviously want to get rid of that. And we're hoping that's sort of what this conversation helps us do or to help sort of understand more about it so we can learn how to get away from the negative aspects of it. And when one community unites because of a perceived trait and they deem other communities to be the lesser, and they serve to oppress or harm those other communities, that is truly toxic. And that is something that we absolutely need to get rid of. And I think to properly address maybe some of uh, those toxic behaviors from our society, there has to be some ability to have a conversation with people whose viewpoints we don't necessarily agree with. And a great way to prevent any kind of those conversations ever happening is by painting a huge demographic with the same brush. And that brush stroke might include people who aren't toxic at all, but maybe just share similar traits to people who are toxic. And when you do that, I think it removes any recognition of the individual and any ability to have any kind of discourse around these contentious topics. I, well, I think so. And, and I don't like... You know, we're not. We both talked about not getting not getting political, but it's more of like a popular reference. And I think if you think of what happened in the states, and you think about like the 2016 election, and there was a term to define, you know, Donald Trump supporters as deplorables. I mean, you can't say that every single person who supports Donald Trump was actually a deplorable, right? But think about and I and I saw interviews with people who were just like. I'm a good person. Like, I don't do anything wrong. I actually like his policies. Again, it doesn't really matter where you stand. But 
but I actually like his policies and that's why I'm voting for him it has nothing to do like I'm not a racist or whatever. So I, it, and, and that really just puts people in a corner. And like you said, you, there's no way of actually um, having any sort of conversation with that person anymore because you've just all of a sudden categorized them something into something that they probably really don't see themselves as and maybe are actually not. So to actually, you know, extend an olive branch where you can create some change, it's just not going to happen. Can I can I come back to sorry I know um, with the when you asked about like that person who uh, who we see as like sort of masculine or whatever I, th- I can't remember exactly the way you phrased it you mentioned a professional fighter and so actually I was thinking you you just said somebody you know but the person I actually was thinking about before you said someone you know was um, George Saint Pierre which if people who are listening to this podcast don't know who George Saint Pierre is. He is the most decorated Canadian fighter of all time in mixed martial arts. And I followed him really, really closely, obviously, from afar. I would love to meet the man. So, George, if you ever listen to this, I would love to, I'd love to meet you. But um, I have to say that. But I, I've watched a lot of interviews with him, and he talks about, first of all, this is someone who you would think has the traditional masculinity qualities about like being fit, being a fighter, being strong, exhibiting all those kind of things. But he would say that before he actually has a fight, he is scared shitless. Like he's just, he's so scared. And, and he, just admitting that this is the, this is the, a champion, right? Admitting that level of vulnerability before fighting somebody who has, you know, just wants to beat him up too, to say that I am scared in this moment, right? Just the amount of strength for him to say that. Right. And him being able to express that, I think to me, that's just like, wow. Right. Because he embraces, again, those traditional qualities of, of what it means to be a man that we all, we've talked about, but then is just so self-aware and is able to express that and, 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 and understands that these are just his emotions and there's nothing wrong with that. And then he does does his business and he kicks everyone's ass, right? Like it's just he's just to me he's he's pretty badass. So and didn't he? Uh, and you can correct me if I'm wrong because I I remember sort of um, vaguely following his career and I didn't he step away because he said that his head wasn't quite right and he wasn't quite in it. Um, yeah, he stepped away in in 2013 after a fight and he said that it was just he was constantly thinking about the next person and he just kind of needed a break. So that's that's sort of why he 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 and he's like it's always about like he's such a competitor that he just needs to he's always thinking about that next person. So he's just like it's it's too much. And he came back in 2017, 2017 four years later, and did his business. So special special um, athlete, but I think he's a special person too. And just being able to just be honest about things and and not hide about it, and it's just. That if you if you're if you're his opponent, think about that, right? If you're his opponent, he just admitted to me that he's scared. Like that is strong, man. I'd be scared of that person. Like this is somebody who has won all kinds of fights and and you know was known as one of the greatest champions in UFC history. And he just told me that he's scared. He's scared of me. Like that. I think that's pretty powerful stuff. So yeah, and I know that he was one to never shy away from talking about meditation and breathing exercises and working to be more present um interesting example for sure so i wouldn't mind shifting back 
to sort of a conversation around maybe healthy traits that are associated with masculinity and how those aren't necessarily mutually ex- exclusive from traditional masculinity traits. And there's been, so after the APA kind of published their guidelines, there was a bit of a backlash from from some groups as to how it, it really paints men in a, in a negative light and it paints traditional masculinity in a negative light. And there have since been efforts to sort of get a better understanding as to what, what the more positive aspects of masculinity are. And through some of this work, they've been able to identify some traits that are healthy and that we should likely be trying to emulate in our everyday lives as, as men. Male self-reliance was highlighted. Respect for women or having respect for women, being courageous, being daring, having the ability to take risks or maybe being less risk averse, uh, the ability to thrive in a group work setting or a teamwork setting, use of humor, which was a pretty interesting um, trait that was highlighted to me. That's not something that I would ever think of in a in a, the idea of what traditional masculinity looks like. And heroism was also highlighted. Well, sorry, with the, with the respect for women, though, I think some people would say that maybe that's because it wasn't always exhibited, that it, that people wouldn't have thought of it as traditional. So are they saying that, like, how do they like how do they say that that was a traditional trait? I guess it's a good question. It's sort of a something that I didn't quite understand either. Um, there were actually two on here that I was a little surprised at. I've already mentioned humor because that's not something that I think would show up on most lists of what traditional masculinity looks like. And then the respect for women piece, I sort of interpreted that more as um, from a chivalrous perspective. Maybe you know, there's sort of the the traditional view of how a man should treat a woman, opening doors, things like that. And I'm not saying that that's positive anymore, but maybe if they're looking at sort of what those traditional aspects are, maybe that's what they're looking at. But I was a little confused by both of those because there's there were sort of two aspects to this, at least um, from what I could kind of interpret from what I read. One was that they uh, there was a lit review that kind of examined what traditional masculinity over the years and sort of pulled out maybe what those positive aspects would be. And the other piece was a bit of a new initiative where they basically interviewed people off the street and said, hey, what do you what do you think uh, a good man looks like, quote unquote? What do you think um, positive masculinity looks like? And then so these traits were highlighted. And I think this list is a bit of a combination of those two. So um, not a great answer, but that's sort of how I interpreted it. When you, th- you have a son and so... I'm not sure we didn't really get too much into this because I think the conversation around masculinity has been fantastic. And so we didn't really come back to fatherhood, but we're kind of nearing the end of our, our podcast here. And so I just want to just quickly, and maybe we'll have to do a follow-up episode on this because I think there's still so much to talk about. But when you think about maybe some of the teachings from your dad and now you being a father to a son, is there anything that you feel like you definitely would want to make sure you you do the same? You think that's sort of valuable when it comes to him being like, "Hey, Dad, how do I be a man?" <laughs> and and maybe is that some, my voice? <laughs> I guess how you I think try, I sound? I, guess, I don't. I think I was trying to mimic your son, perhaps. I don't know. Um, and uh, and what are some things that you maybe would consider doing differently, or teaching differently, maybe? That's a great question. I don't know that I have a good answer for you. At least nothing that's um, overly interesting. I mean, I most of the things I learned and continue to learn from my father were through 
observation and just kind of being around him in our relationship. He's incredibly humble. I mean, he, um, you know, I know that I often like to kind of make jokes at my own expense, a lot of self-deprecating humor, and I absolutely get that from from him. And so he's always been quite humble. Uh, there's just no bravado, no machismo at all, um, which I really admire, and I try to emulate that. And empathetic, he's very empathetic, and he's a really good listener. And I think all those things are incredibly important, and I hope to sort of instill those things in in my son as well. And as far as the things I don't necessarily agree with or things maybe that I would do differently, there's nothing really bubbling to the surface. Um, so sorry, you know, kind of laying a big wet fart on this question. What about, what about you? Well, like in, in your experience with your father? Yeah, I think, I think something that I would, I am doing differently and was very conscious about it was the emotions, right? So my dad really held on to things pretty closely and sometimes it'll lead to him just kind of blowing up and he's a pretty calm dude. Um, and so for him to get to that point takes a lot. But when that happens, it's always like, it's always the silent types, right? When, when they kind of boil over, it's just, you better watch out sort of thing. So that, that was him. I wish he would have let me in a little bit more. And I think he didn't let me in because he probably was afraid of like sort of what that would do. And, and maybe he didn't feel like I had the capacity to understand. I don't know. Uh, I, I don't know if he actually let many people in. And I think he maybe started to, when I really started probing him at an, at a, as I got older and I was, I was really curious about his feelings on things rather than his thoughts. He was always willing to share his thoughts, but his feelings were sort of for him. I'm very different that way. I think, well, you, you've, you're getting to know me, people who know me in my life know that I'm pretty expressive and, and will make my feelings shared. And, and the interesting thing about him too, was that he was a very big believer in the soul, right? Like he was very, he was very spiritual and philosophical that way. He believed like the soul was this omnipresent energy and, and, and there's, there are, there are thoughts out there that emotions are kind of a reflective of your soul. So it was always very interesting to me how, how he, held on to those things. And I don't know if that was just sort of cultural. And I know his dad was very tough on him, even though my grandfather was an amazing man, but he was sort of, he was tough on him. And I think maybe, maybe that has something to do because my dad is an emotional person too. Like I've seen him, it's, you know, when those people don't cry that much and when you see them cry, it's, it's, they cry pretty hard. Right. So, yeah. So, so I would say that's one thing for sure. Um, The thing I would embrace is, and I think, I hope I do this, is there's, and I spoke to this a little bit earlier, was he wasn't an aggressive person. He was a gentle man, and, but he commanded a presence too, right? So it's not like he had to be aggressive by any means. Like he, he I would say he, he didn't always, there were times where he got taken advantage of and that was, that was hurtful and I, I have as well. And so that's something that I really try to be very conscious about. But he was very gentle. He was he was he wasn't he wasn't aggressive, and I think um, that is this absolute strength, which um, you know is contradictory as we talk to what those traditional or old masculine uh, qualities are. So that's probably a couple there. Yeah, yeah, no, those are great examples. And you think even about the relationship with your grandfather and your father, and then your father mm-hmm. to you, and sort of how you know the evolution of of that, that father-son relationship or the evolution of of the man to the man to the man if if that makes sense for sure 
while my while my dad didn't necessarily preach certain traditional roles, you kind of like you talked about it earlier. You kind of emulate what your father or what you know people around you might be doing. It becomes. I always found it very uncomfortable when the people around my life would be like, "You have to go mow the lawn," or "You got to." do these kind of typical male things. I actually enjoyed mowing the lawn, so that was never an issue. And and doing some of those, I guess, traditional male activities. But I always found it weird that why would it have to be me, right? Like, especially as a, as a young boy, didn't understand that. And so I would try to, I would resist that quite a bit because it just doesn't make sense to me. And I would always kind of, I, I try to question it, but it becomes very hard to question these things when you have very, like a lot of close people around you continuously facilitating this. And it, the funny thing that it was many of the women in my life who were kind of facilitating this, right? Saying that, saying that, no, you shouldn't wash your dishes. You got, you got a sister, you got a cousin, you got some other female figure in your life, family member who can do that. Right. Yeah. So it it was, it was a lot of that. And I don't, you know, that's a whole other can of worms in terms of why that was the case, but it wasn't my dad. Right. I think my dad just kind of grew up with it. And so he was just kind of accustomed to it, but it wasn't like he would, it it wasn't coming from a place of, of hurt, like, or trying to hurt somebody. It was just, that's just the way he knew it. So he, you know, he would take his dish to to the sink after we're after we're done but like he would there were just these kind of typical traditional man you know masculine things that he would do but it wasn't again to hurt anybody it's just sort of what he knew but i would say that the more of the women in my life were were perpetuating these kind of stereotypes which was interesting so yeah no that's a very interesting point something i hadn't even really given much thought to you know sort of the the continuation of these roles you know through the propagation of by non-men, right? By uh, the women in our lives. Interesting. Well, and, and having a daughter now, like I, when, when I was, I would say in my teens, I, I clearly remember this of having arguments with my mom and my mom's a sweetheart. So she's not like somebody who she just, that's just what she knows, right? And I think she feels very comfortable with like, this is what a woman should do and this is what a man should do. And anyways, it's not something that I'm going to keep fighting over. But I did say at that time, you know, what happens if I had a daughter? I do remember saying this. What happens if I had a daughter? Do we really want her to feel like she can only do these things? Like, that's not something that makes sense to me, mom, right? And so now, like, having a daughter, I am, like, I am, like, very strong about that if I ever see that creeping in. And because, you know, you know, you obviously have this sort of idealistic side of she can, your kid can do anything, but, but she can. And, 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 and I want her to, to always know that it just never made sense to me. So. Yeah, no. And I mean, that's the whole new lens of parenthood. Right. And I hope that that doesn't come across as exclusionist in any way for the, you know, for folks who aren't parents, but that, you know, this, you're right, this whole new lens of, you know, the world now is, is almost like how you show her the world is or how the world can be. Yes. So how how you choose to show that to her is going to completely alter 
you know, her future and how she sees herself as a girl and a woman in the world. Very, very interesting stuff, you know, and it's same for me with my son. I mean, yeah, you know, there are certain traits that I'm really hoping to sort of instill in him. And I don't know, it's it's a tough thing to do, particularly when, um, you know, I'm not a perfect human by any stretch and I'm I'm trying the best I can mm-hmm. from day to day. And I have these sort of, you know, views of the future of, of, of how I want him to be and how I want him to see the world. But my actions don't always back that up. And so it's it's a very, very interesting thing to think about this from the standpoint of now us being fathers and how that impacts our children. Well, and also then bringing your parents along for that too, right? So bringing my mom along with like, this this doesn't work anymore. Like this doesn't, it doesn't make sense in this day and age for a woman to just have these roles that you would have been accustomed and comfortable to. And, and sometimes seeing that resistance, you know, on her end or, or her kind of getting her mind blown when she sees like, wow, it actually doesn't. Or it's just, it's it's been an interesting journey on that front, so... Yeah. Okay. Um, no, really, really good points. I'm, I'm glad that you brought those up. So I think we're coming close to our time. I guess I have one quick question and you should probably answer it in a tweet. If you had to have one trait that in 10 years time, they, they do a study and they say, these are the top five traits of, um, what we consider to be modern masculinity. What would one of those traits be in, in your mind? What would you hope one of those traits would be that you would see on that list. And I'm putting you on the spot here. Sorry about that. No, that's okay. You didn't prep me for that question. <laughs> I I would say if you, if you go back, Kyle, to that study and you said those good traits that a certain number of people had said were important for men or that they wanted to see in men, and courage was one of them. Dr. Brene Brown has said, and I think anyone who follows her knows that vulnerability is a key is is a key part of her thesis or something she speaks so strongly about. And she says, you cannot get to courage without rumbling with vulnerability. So let's think about that. Vulnerability is this uncertainty, this risk, this emotional exposure. There's so much uncertainty that's happening going forward, uncertainty in our relationships, uncertainty in our world, uncertainty in our workplace, uncertainty with the identity of being a male. How can you how can you not share these feelings or share these emotions or just sit with that? It's about vulnerabilities, about showing up and being seen. And that's like that's a really tough thing to do as a father, especially in front of your kids, right? Like for them to not see you as Superman, like I think every dad almost wants to be seen that way, right? And so what if my kids thought that I wasn't Superman anymore? Would I disappoint them in the process? I think that's a hard thing for many dads. But I also don't think that kids will expect us to be perfect. I mean, when something is perfect or someone is too perfect, you question it, right? I mean, 
there's a certain level of mistrust you might have in that level of perfection. It's like there's a shield that's kind of blocking them from really showing or revealing some sort of flaw. I actually think our kids would be more inspired by us being dads who actually sit in those vulnerable moments, who kind of, who, who, who would just learn from those moments and just embrace and feel what we're feeling and then maybe strike to really move forward and improve ourselves rather than again, putting those big shields in front of ourselves and trying to protect them in our, in the process. I think that would be much more valuable. So I would say vulnerability would definitely be a key trait for any man going forward or us as dads. Well, I don't know if we're going to end on a better note than that, so we better uh, quit while we're ahead. Really appreciate the time today, uh, Rupesh. Uh, I think that's a wrap on episode two and looking forward to episode three. So let's talk soon. Me too. Thanks, Kyle.